Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa Idea in the 21st century. Who we are as people helps us relate to others. In this episode of the Iowa Idea podcast, I sit down with Dr. Mary Cohen, who is an associate professor and area head of music education at the University of Iowa. Mary researches music making and wellness with respect to prison context, writing and songwriting, and collaborative communities. Mary discusses her journey to explore the idea of prison choirs and creating a community prison choir here in Iowa. The Oakdale Community Choir is comprised of inside singers, those in the prison, and outside singers, community volunteers from outside of the prison. Mary talks about the community benefits of looking at justice through the lenses of transformative and restorative justice, exploring the healing that might take place as we look to improve outcomes for all involved in these complex issues. We discuss the problematic incentive system associated with the U.S. prison system. As of May 2020, 154 original songs have been created, and they've had 174 inside singers and 149 outside singers participate in the choir. This episode highlights the importance of community, collaboration, and creativity, especially the notion of social cohesion through creativity. I'd like to thank Mary for joining me for this discussion. I hope you enjoy the episode. And as a special note, I have uh, listed uh, a few resources for you if you want to check the episode notes with links to Equal Justice Initiative, Justice Arts Coalition, the Oakdale Choir, and the opening music was from a song called The Light That Shines Within by Paul Soderdahl and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution and ShareLike 4.0. Thank you. Mary, thanks so much for joining me on the Iowa Idea podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. If you don't mind, could you uh, tell me and our listeners just a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Matt. And thanks for this opportunity to talk with you and the listeners of the Iowa Idea podcast. So my name, as you mentioned, is Mary Cohen. I'm a professor, associate professor now at the University of Iowa in the music education department. So I'm area head of the music education area and my position runs across both the College of Education and the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. I came to Iowa in 2007. So I got to live through the flood. My first three years, my first academic position, I had three different offices in three different buildings. That was very interesting. 
Um, anyway, I uh, teach students that are going to be music teachers. We have a strong music education graduate program with both master's and PhD students. So I do a lot of academic advising for graduate students. And as you probably know, maybe your listeners do, at my position at Iowa, I have 40% research, 40% teaching, and 20% service on a traditional load for most, most of the time. That's my load. So I do a lot of research as well as teaching and service. Right on. Thank you. And thanks again for joining us. And I, one, one uh, incredibly important project that you're, you're working on uh, is the Oakdale Community Choir. Mm-hmm. Do you, yes. Do you mind, could we, could we even just start like where, where did that, uh, and actually just to explain to, to listeners quickly what, what the Community Choir is sure. and how, how you came about this. Cause I, I just, as as a little reveal, I was lucky enough to to attend a, a performance uh, a couple of years ago, and it's incredibly moving. And I I just think it's important to tell the story. But if, I don't want to butcher the story. Is what I'm saying. No, that's too, sure. So. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, there's a lot of different elements to the story of how it started. But I'll give a brief bit, and feel free to stop right. me at any point and ask questions. So let's see. I have been growing. I grew up a pianist and was very involved in accompanying music for singers, for worship ensemble, worship services. So I always saw music as a function of something else. And so when I went to graduate school at the University of Kansas, I spent a lot of time in prison, literally and figuratively, because there was a choir in Kansas called the East Hill Singers. This choir, the East Hill Singers, began in 1995 by a woman named Elvira Voth, when she was 70 years old in 1995. And this is a choir that the men in the minimum security prison leave the prison and sing in a public venue with outside volunteers. So one January of 2002, I was reading the Kansas City Arts section on a Sunday and saw, oh, the East Hill Singers are performing a few miles from my house. I had friends involved in the nonprofit organization Arts in Prison that supports it. And so I went to the concert just out of curiosity. At the time I was teaching full-time facilitating music, facilitating musical learning for elementary children at Stanley Elementary in Blue Valley School District, went to the concert and was blown away. The idea of people singing in unison and in harmony with people from that society that they were accused of committing crimes against. So I became so curious. I began my PhD program at Kansas in 2003. And in our program, we were required to do a variety of research projects before our dissertation. So I had the support from the music education and music therapy faculty members at Kansas to continue to dig into a bit more what is what is a prison choir? What is music education in prisons about? And the more I learned, the more curious I became. So between 2003 and seven, I studied the idea of prison choirs and researched it, wrote a dissertation that is a theory of choral singing pedagogy in prison context which I'd be happy to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then when I came to, to Iowa, yeah. I looked into all the steps I needed to do to start a project in the Oakdale prison. So there's a lot of steps to that. But um, and let me know, should I go into the details of that? Would that be curious? Yeah, yeah, a this, bit? this mm-hmm. is yeah, this is great. I really, okay. I really appreciate this. So um, in the process of trying to decide how do I create a choir in a prison, and I knew I was just hired as a tenure track faculty member. I needed to do a lot of research, 
for my job and to help me support thinking about how would a really effective project begin. So I consulted people like a man named William Cleveland, who wrote a book called Art in Other Places. He said to me, Mary, if you really want to do this project, what you ought to do is think about creating a village, not a summer camp. Basically, the instruction he gave me was I needed to really build a powerful partnership with people in the prison. So I used one of his articles he wrote called Common Sense and Common Ground, Survival, Survival Skills for Artists Who Want to Go into, into Institutions used that the first four years of this project actually for the outside volunteers. I also did lots of research where I looked at uh, other people that were leading choirs in prisons to learn from them what was effective, what was problematic, what was challenging. And then I made some contacts with people who, who were either working or volunteering in the Oakdale prison. One man, uh, Kyle Wilhelm, was a music therapist who was contracted through West Music. And Kyle was going into the Oakdale prison facilitating music therapy sessions. So I shadowed him to get an introduction to the prison. Another friend of mine, Dorothy Whiston, had been volunteering at the prison for 10 years. And interestingly, now she's a member of the choir. <laughs> she joined the choir a couple of years ago. So she talked with me a lot about what the needs were, who the people were to talk with in the prison. And the third big contact was a colleague in the College of Education, a woman named Paula Brandt, who ran the curriculum lab, which used to be a, a library that was available for teacher resources in the College of Education. Paula's husband, Lowell, was the warden at the Oakland <laughs> Prison. Paula and Lowell had both been involved in choral singing, and so she knew that it would be a valuable thing to explore, to, in, to try to introduce a prison choir. So uh, I think I heard in retrospect, and I should check with Paula, that she might have been one of my strongest advocates because I think she told her husband, this is something you might really, really think about. Seriously. So I had a meeting with Lowell Brandt, with a couple other people in the prison, and we were set to start the program. My meeting was in, I think, in the fall. I know it was in the fall. I don't remember what month. Fall of 2008. The choir started in 2009. Well, okay. December of 2008, Lowell Brandt died unexpectedly. So that was, you can only imagine how yeah. that hard that was for the people in the prison. That he, he was really well-liked as a warden there. Yeah. Um, and for Paula. So anyway, that what happened next was uh, the interim warden. The plan was for me to have a meeting in January 2009 with the people in the prison to introduce this idea. So I, I went ahead with that meeting. The interim warden, Dan Craig, went ahead and supported the start of the choir. So we began in 2009 and I connected it with teaching. So I taught a graduate seminar that was titled Teaching Art in Alternative Contexts. So those graduate students sang along with, there were like nine or so graduate students that sang with a group of other outside community members. So we had 22 women and men from the community that very first charter season. And we had 22 men in the prison. So every Tuesday, we would come in for rehearsal and sing with the men. Then at the end of the season, we had concerts where we would do two sets, one for a, I'm talking in past tense because it's COVID-19 yeah. and we haven't been in the prison since March 3rd. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but we, um, we have concerts in the prison with one for outside community or one for the men in the prison and then one for community members. So from there, the program has grown and developed in lots of different ways and I tell you what happens, Matt, is the default thought, maybe some of the listeners who are hearing this yeah. 
interview might think, wow, great, there's a program for people in prison so they can be involved in a pro-social activity. Yes, that's part of our goal. Um, the simple goal we have is to create communities of caring, both within ourselves, within the prison and beyond the prison. And probably the most important goal we have is that we transform attitudes toward more healing forms of conflict management. So when I say transform attitudes, I'm talking about people who are not in prison, right. <laughs> transforming the broader public to realize we have some extreme, with lots of exclamation points or bold yeah. <laughs> font, the extreme human rights issues in prisons related to profit, related to sensing related to families there's so many things yeah and thank you and uh, going back just just a little bit too mm -hmm. your because to me it, it sent what i what i really appreciate was all all these different areas where you did research and the notion of doing art in other contexts and 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 that there was uh you know your background too at kansas that somebody had a community choir but I still, it sounds to me like it would be a really hard sell because it's not, it doesn't seem like it's something common that, oh yes, yeah, we, we set mm -hmm. up, we set up the choir and it, it, it helps both those in the prison and it also helps community members outside. Mm -hmm. So I, it just sounds like that might've been a little bit of a struggle even to get that off the ground. Yeah, I tell you, Matt, what is so fascinating, uh, I've been researching this now since 2003, and the biggest project I'm doing now is a book titled Silenced Voices, Music Making in U.S. Prisons. One of the most interesting finds in this book is that over 100 years ago in this state, a man, a music educator named James C. Sanders was the warden at the Fort Madison prison Fort Madison, Iowa from 1907 to 1917, and he began a choir, a band, an orchestra in that prison. So this chapter, the chapter two of the book I'm finishing, I can say rather than writing yeah. with my co-author, Stuart Paul Duncan, is <laughs> right on. that this, um, between the early 1900s all the way through like 1960s, music programs in prisons were common in the 1950s, American Correctional Association said music programs in prisons are one of the best, I don't have the exact quote, but um, one of the best pro-social programs that we, that we have available. There used to be prison radio shows that were so popular that did bridge inside and outside prisons. So what's happened since 19, mid-70s through the next four decades, the number of people in prison increased 700% and there has been a major shift toward punitive approaches, toward an us and them mentality. Right. And so right. when I say transforming, transformative justice is, is a theory for creating major institutional change, which I think needs to happen beginning with our attitudes. Yeah. One, uh, and kind of on that front, and sorry, I'm just looking at some mm -hmm. notes that I wrote in yeah. preparation for our, our, our talk. And I did want to ask, we, and we just talked about transformative justice, but I know another term that I see with some of your work is restorative. Yes. And can you, mm -hmm. can you talk about kind of the connection between uh, 
music choir and in and, and maybe in general just restorative justice what that is and and mm-hmm. what the benefits are for society absolutely well i happen to have right next to me i know this is not <laughs> a visual thing but i happen to have a small book we used this past semester in a class i taught called peace building singing and writing in a prison choir called the little book of restorative justice by howard zier it's a great introduction to the concept a default way of thinking about conflict is um, what um, the default way, I always have to pause to think what the default way is because I've been answering right, the other right, way in my thinking right. a lot, but um, what crime has been committed and how should that person be punished? When restorative justice flips a question and says what harms have occurred and how can those harms be healed? So those harms would would be impacting both a combination of people. The harm would obviously impact the survivor of the crime or the survivor victim is a term that sometimes people use and the perpetrator or the offender and then the community. And it's, it's always a complex issue. So this relates right. quite a bit to the goal of your project is these are complex problems when a conflict occurs. It's, yeah. It could be related to, um, boy, who knows? Every situation is different. There's not, it's not ever, I don't think, going to be accurate to just say, there's not enough. I mean, there's, it's complex. I'm not even going to say what the root of the issue is, but I could right. talk about it a little bit. So anyway, back to your question, restorative justice is a, a theory or a system looking at healing approaches to conflict management. And within the restorative justice umbrella, there are ideas of restorative practices. So the Oakdale Choir and prison choirs, music education in prison can be considered a restorative practice depending on the particular program's goal and practices. So it's it's not a simple thing like, oh, this is going to be a salve that will heal the problem. Never, right. There's never going to be something as simple as that. But... Um, what what's amazing from when the time I moved to Iowa in 2007 and began giving presentations and using the term restorative justice to now, there's such a deeper awareness of the idea. Um, I, I began this project and I'd say the word restorative justice and probably 99% I'd need to explain what that was. And I still do sometimes it's people yeah. are still learning about it. However, even Van Jones, the CNN, Anchor has a project called the Redemption Project, which is, I've only seen one episode, but it's like a reality show that incorporates ideas of restorative justice. This practices, keeping in mind that it can be applied in family situations and school situations and workplace situations, the general idea of restorative justice. And when it's applied effectively in conflict management situations, there's a sense of accountability that is not part of our current criminal legal system. And if you were to talk with any of the, well, I don't want to make any generalization. That's yeah. never a healthy thing to do. A lot of people who have gone through the difficult work of being aware of how, I mean, anybody can think of this. You don't have to be behind bars to think of this, but if you stop and really look at a hurt that you've caused someone else and look deeply at the root of how that happened, and you acknowledge a responsibility to why you made that choice, then there's gonna be some accountability that will involve healing if the deep, difficult work is done. 
which is not a default part of the criminal legal system at this point. Right. So right. the more people are aware of this, the better. And the more people are aware of issues like life without parole, these long sentences, there's all of those punitive approaches that don't heal anyone and hurt families, hurt society and companies. What I've been researching this morning on my book was the, uh, the different companies that are earning a lot of money through food, communication, and just the supplies, even toiletries, people in, yeah. depending on which prison, and I, I might not be, this is like the opposite of restorative justice, yeah. I guess. Yeah. But I mean, my goodness, yesterday I uncovered a document that talked about over 4,000 different corporations are earning profits from the U.S. prison systems. And then this morning I was looking at something in the prison policy initiative uh, about the different companies that are earning money from the commissaries that people in prison, right. they don't may not get the food they need or it's just, it's really, it's really problematic. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that. A couple questions I have about the community choir too, and also mm -hmm. the, the notion of this community of caring. Can you mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more? I know uh, w one of the words that's, that's used as an important principle is Ubuntu. Mm -hmm. Do you, yeah, do you yeah. mind how that kind of came as a, a part of the, the choir? Absolutely. Yeah. Ubuntu is a South African concept that means a person is a person through other people. There are a lot of different definitions of it and descriptions yeah. of it. And there's an actual the actual language it's from, I have that written in some documents, but it's the general idea that um, a sense of interconnectedness that's part of being human, which I think our the current virus in our, that has the new virus that's in part of our, our world now is teaching us this. If we can stop and listen, right. my behavior is going to impact people I don't know. And that's always been the case. Yeah. So Ubuntu as a grounding framework for the choir gives us the idea that who we are as people is how we relate to others. So it's a sense of connecting to our sense of uh, how we understand the world to be. That's kind of a broad statement. Yeah. It yeah. also relates to a theory or a concept that I I use titled musicking. Christopher Small is a man who wrote a, a number of articles about this concept that music could be considered a verb and to music or musicking is the experience that we have, whether you are performing or listening, that gives you a chance to explore, affirm and celebrate your sense of ideal relationships. So that also relates quite a lot to this concept of Ubuntu. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I know one of the things for me that I thought was be, being able to to witness a performance live. Uh, like I said, it, for me, it was it was incredibly powerful. And uh, I I thought one of the things that I found interesting was also a description that because the Oakdale facility is considered medium security. If I'm mm -hmm. so, uh, many many of the many of these people are going to be 
entering back into society, right? And mm-hmm. I think that that's almost a, an eye-opening too to the complexity of the problem, right? That it's not like folks go to jail and then we don't hear from them again. It's like if, if we want a, a healthy society, how do we take care of each other, right? And then also how do we make sure that, that people have a, a good, healthy, productive return? And I'm probably, again, painting a really broad Midwestern value <laughs> brush strokes here but that was i think one of the things for me that was really eye-opening is it is that people are returning they they have paid their debt right and so how do we make sure that there is a healthy return for for everybody and i just i found that to be an interesting conversation that was provoked because of the Mm -hmm. uh, discussions there yeah yeah absolutely there's so many different things to think about with your point and for example Iowa, by the way, has, in comparison to the other states in this region, Iowa has has more people in prison that have a sentence of life without parole, like almost 8%. So that's a problem. Yeah. If someone has a really long sentence, there's no correlation, there's no research that indicates the longer someone's in prison, the safer society is. And if someone does have that kind of a sentence, I mean, not every situation is different. So I'm not saying right, it's, right. it's 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 not a simple solution. But why not have educational programming and have have things that will allow families to connect with each other in a more healthy way? And, an, and a factor that hasn't come up in our conversation yet is is issues of inequity within prisons. Right. There's a really interesting researcher named Erica Miners, and she's written a book called For the Children, Protecting Innocence in a Carceral State. And Erica defines mass incarceration as targeted criminalization. And it begins on the front end with policing. Right. And it's it's a long, complex history in this country of issues of people not seeing beyond skin color. Right. Yeah. And I mean, just as you and I are recording, I used to live in Minneapolis and have just, you know, some horrible things that are, have happened in the past oh, couple of days there. Gosh, yes. Right. I invite your listeners, if they are not familiar with an organization called the Equal Justice Initiative, to look up that organization. A film just came out last December titled Just Mercy, which is based on a book by Brian Stevenson titled Just Mercy, who Brian is the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, which provides free legal services for people who have been wrongfully convicted. On their website, there is one of the best videos about racial justice. So if you go to the website and you find the link for racial justice and watch this short two to four minute video, it's not that long, it's done really well. And he he came to Iowa and gave a talk when his book first came out and described the value and the need to embrace Black Lives Matters in in a way that just crystal clear, crystal clear that we need to be, we need some reframing in our Yeah, thank you. And that's uh, Equal Justice Initiative. Mm -hmm. Just want to make sure I'm getting that right. Great. what, another thing too that I, an article I read about the Oakdale Community Choir, uh, at least 
it seen that there's been enough time that you've actually had singers return mm -hmm. in a in a different role from being an inside singer to an outside singer. Yes. Can you have. can you tell me about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. We've had the first time we had a former inside singer come into the prison to be in the audience was the spring of 2015. The theme of that we always have a theme to all our concerts and our seasons. That theme was evolving lives. Kenneth Bailey, who has given yeah. his permission to use his name, was the first former inside singer. And his story is actually highlighted really well in a book by Andy Douglas called Redemption Songs. Right on. So that was, and by the way, Kenneth also is a really remarkable songwriter and writer. So songwriting is a core part of this project, which I love to death. Yeah. So it's love songwriting. Kenneth wrote lyrics to a song titled, May the Stars Remember Your Name, back in spring of 2010. He, he actually had written out the score to that by taking, this is before the songwriting workshop officially began. It began summer of 2010. He wrote on a piece of notebook paper a staff and a meter and three and kind of ideas for a melody in his words and said, go ahead and do what you want with it. This wasn't his first song he did with the choir, but yeah. it was one that was pretty powerful. So I took it home and t took his idea and set it to music. That season, we performed it. A colleague from Michigan, or sorry, she she has she has a connection to Michigan, but her home, her name's Mead Palodowski, and she runs the Story Catchers Theater, which is a brilliant program in Chicago. She's actually won an award from Michelle Obama. That's how amazing okay. she is. She came to the dress rehearsal for the concert where we premiered "May the Stars Remember Your Name." Took the got permission to bring that song back to her program at the Warrenville Youth Center, where she has a partnership with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and had Yo-Yo Ma perform that piece with a group of musicians. And Kenneth Bailey knew who Yo-Yo Ma was. So when I told him that his song was gonna be performed by Yo-Yo Ma, he said he about had a heart attack, but he didn't wanna die there in prison. So, <laughs> uh, and then I got to go, my husband and I went to Chicago to the Warren Youth Center to meet Yo-Yo Ma and see the piece performed. And it was amazing. And the funny part of the story was on the drive home, my husband was past a police officer that was driving under the speed limit and then they pulled us over like what is going on I told this police officer why did you pull us over we just saw Yo-Yo Ma perform a piece written by a man in a prison where I direct a choir and he goes Yo-Yo whatever <laughs> he didn't know who Yo-Yo Ma was <laughs> right. and it was just a ticket because I had forgotten to renew our license tag so coming back to your answer, your yeah. question, what happened was that spring 2015 concert, Kenneth came back. We have a documentary film in post-production stage. So there's a short okay. little video you can see. The film's called The Inside Singers. So yeah. there's a little three-minute video we can see Kenneth coming back into the prison. And I told him in advance, I got permission for Kenneth to come to the front of the audience at that concert to just briefly talk to the audience because I thought this is going to be pretty powerful to have him say something. But right. I didn't warn him we were going to sing his song. So when he wrote the song, May the Stars Remember Your Name, part of what inspired him, the song is about, what, well, he was, he was inspired to write the song because when he was in prison, he couldn't see the stars at night. The security lights blinded his view of right. the nighttime sky. So he had written the song with the hope that someday he will be out of prison and be able to sing 
You know, once captive, now I'm freed. Once blind, now I see the beauty of the night calling to me. It's a gorgeous set of lyrics. So we sang that song <laughs> at the spring of 2015 concert. And if you can go on, I don't know if we have it on a choir website or where we have the recording. I know I've got a copy of the recording of listening to him speak. Yeah. And it's powerful. So he was the first person that came back since then. We've had a lot of other formerly incarcerated choir members come back, and we try to always connect with them and invite them because supporting returning citizens is vital. It's a core right. part of everybody's goal, I hope, but especially our choir. One formerly incarcerated choir member is now a staff person with the Liberal Arts Beyond Bars program at the prison, Harold Searcy. And Harold joined the choir fall of 18. So that was, and Harold wrote a song, another little songwriting story. One of the, yeah. the very first season of the choir, a song we, the first original song we composed was, we performed was titled Peace and Place that Harold co-wrote with a friend. Harold sat in the audience, spring of 2009, the very first concert, he was in the Oakdale prison. We sang a song, acknowledged him there in the audience. Right. He joined the choir summer of 2009 but was transferred to another prison and never sang in a concert. So once he got approval to come back into the prison as a volunteer, joined the choir, the first event we did was November 12, 2018, where we did this learning exchange with the Soweto Gospel Choir, Maggie Wheeler and Sarah Thompson. And that was his first event, but it wasn't a performance because we had an ad hoc choir, which was everybody who was in quote unquote the audience. <laughs> And we sang together and it was a really, it was one of my musical highlights of my career to get to have that experience with the Swoda Gospel Choir, Maggie Wheeler, Sarah Thompson. So then the following spring of eight, 19, that's just a year ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Feels <laughs> like longer than a year ago. I, I know. <laughs> um, we, we had a season themed building bridges to peace. So we got permission to take Harold's song and add to it. So we created between Harold's original song, Paul Soderdahl, who plays piano for the choir, we used a melody of his, and then I created a melody at the end with new lyrics, and that piece is titled Building Perfect Peace. And that was very, um, so he had to basically wait like 10 years to sing with the choir at a concert. Wow, thank, thank you for sharing that. Um, Digging in a little bit on songwriting, can you can you walk me through what that that's like to teach songwriting? Because it's and I, this is just my assumption is that mm -hmm. everybody that's participating in the choir are all at different levels of mm -hmm. maybe some did compose before, maybe yeah. some have never even tried their hand at uh, at singing or songwriting. So can you walk me through how how you mm -hmm. kind of teach people songwriting? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorite things to do. So any of our educators in the audience will be familiar with the term yeah. differentiated instruction. <laughs> we are all about that with songwriting because exactly like you said, Matt, some of the people come in with playing guitars, understanding musical music theory. Other people are just maybe bored or curious about learning how to write songs but don't have that experience. So it depends on each person's goal and what they want to do, what they want to work on. And through those 10 years, this summer is the 11th summer of the songwriting workshop, which is moving online since we are not meeting in person. Right. It's It has adapted and changed. Depending on who participates, we have a group of outside songwriters, inside songwriters. I have learned a variety of pedagogical strategies for teaching songwriting. 
so I can talk about those if you're curious, yeah. but the simple down and dirty is uh, some people will want to collaborate. Some songwriters will want to create lyrics and then collaborate with someone else who will set their lyrics to music. And there's always a conversation and feedback process. And probably one of the most important pedagogical components of the in-person songwriting workshop is a system called the Liz Lerman Critical Response Process. Liz Lerman is a dancer with the Dance Exchange, and it's a four-step strength-based feedback process that is brilliant. In fact, I have a chapter in a book that's coming out at some point that describes how we've used this process with a songwriting workshop at prison. So uh, that provides, it's a beautiful four-step process, Liz Lerman critical response process. So that when we do those, when someone has a piece, whether it's a set of lyrics or a whole song ready to be workshopped, then we go through this process as a group and it's very wonderful. I learned some new strategies for teaching group songwriting through an organization, a conference called the Arts in Corrections Conference. I've been to a couple times and some folks from the Jail Guitar Doors program that I learned from the Jail Guitar Doors program and adapted for the choir. So again, it's it's it changes each season, but there are some things that work really well and I learned pedagogically that when I came in very teacher-centered with sight-seeking books, it was really not yeah. very effective. But when I let go of that and allow the students to create what they wanted to create, the number of original songs went whew, skyrocketed. So, gosh, I've lost track. I should look, I should look this before I talk to you, but yeah. over 156 original songs, a lot. The choir great. has sung like 75 of them. So yeah. we usually do a number of them at each concert. And we do original songs at the end. We do a little informal performance at the end of the summer songwriting workshop. Cool. And this, again, I apologize because this is probably kind of really broad stroke, but I, uh -huh. I, I, could, I can see songwriting as uh, just we're seeing more and more powerful emergence of just social-emotional intelligence and social-emotional connection to mm -hmm. being the root of lots of different but problems, mm -hmm. right? And I, I can almost see, like, uh, some breakthroughs through songwriting helping mm – -hmm helping people who probably traditionally haven't had a healthy access to their emotions start mm -hmm. to reframe or think about or even express themselves. Uh, am I, am I on yes, track or am I you are. I tell okay. you what's the elements of this are um, what you're saying. Yes. And what happens is that I have found probably why I found it so valuable to my creative expression and my ability to facilitate a sense of a so social cohesion through creativity is just imagine an idea created in someone's heart or mind, the seed of a song, and then the crafting process of creating that into a song. Then when the Oakdale choir learns the song, many times in that process of creating the song, like one of the most recent ones we did is a song called Remember, Be Love, which was the theme of our last concert in December. So the recording's on the choir website that process of creating it is adapted by the, the larger communal voice, the communal body of all the people together. So we're talking about original idea that's embodied by a group. And then when mm -hmm. you take that to the level of performing, then we have it not only embodied by a group voice, it's being received by a communal body, a communal voice, yeah. a group of people. And so that, 
uh, embodied artistic expression, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And so I am such a firm believer of for, especially for choir directors to explore songwriting and take it in baby steps. If there's a song, if there's any choral director out there, a school choral director, a community, a church choir director, take it in baby steps. People can learn to write songs and people can learn to facilitate them. It's That's beautiful. And I really, really appreciate, really love the process. Thank, thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I, one of the things I was going to jump into is because uh, some of the themes we have is with, for for creatives of all sorts that might be listening, one of the things I like to check in on, you personally, if you ever feel like you get stuck or a rut, do you have like a good trick for getting unstuck when you're you're walking through like your own composition or songwriting process? Hmm, great question. Well, I'm working on a song right now, I call it Heavenly Rainbow. It's been in the process for a while. Uh, this process, the song was inspired by Christmas Day, a few years ago, I was with my mother and we were taking a walk and we saw on Christmas Day a rainbow and it was after my father had died. So it felt like I'd written yeah. a song for my father called Heavenly Snowfall. I thought this would be great, Heavenly Rainbow. So for me, the artistic process for that has gotten stuck sometimes from just not having enough time to sit there and do it. But for me, yeah. what helps, like right now, what I need to do with the song is just take a sh clean sheet of paper and write out the structure of the lyrics and think about the, the energy of the song, the energy I want behind the song, mm -hmm. and use that to decide how to create a bridge or how to create a contrasting section to what I've already got. So some steps would involve simply taking a break, starting, from some, starting with some sense of newness into the project, so a new clean sheet of paper, sitting at the piano for me i do a lot of songwriting by sitting at the piano and playing musical ideas or having i love to take a set of words and think about how those words would be expressed in a melody and from there create the accompaniment and the harmony taking a walk yeah i have a meditation yeah. practice so anytime i can do what i call downhill parking where if there's whether it's a writing project or a creative project I have all the ideas of what I need to do for my very next step ready to go. So when I step into that space, it's like parking down a car parked <laughs> downhill. When you start it, it's easy to go forward. There we so. go. Right on. Yeah. It's yeah. I, uh, I've described in sometimes design teams that, that I've built, I've, I steal from kind of a kitchen or, or chef metaphor of kind of mise en place. It's just everything in place is like sometimes before you get, so just, just have a clean working area. Uh, right, because it's like sometimes the mind gets so fragmented and you're all over the place. Is like let's let's just make sure we have things where we need them so we can reach them easily. Yeah. Get that. So, but I lo I love the notion of downhill parking to yeah. just make that that start a little bit easier. Exactly. One one of the things I I like to ask guests too is because um, you know one of our themes is collaboration and I I think a unique form of collaboration is actually mentorship. Right. I, mm -hmm. I think sometimes we don't think about mentors, uh, but what I wanted to to investigate with you is the role of mentors in your life. And if there's uh, like good pieces of advice that you remember receiving from mentors and then also advice you might have for others. Great question. I love mentors. In fact, I've just got a new one that I'm going to see on Friday for me. Right. <laughs> yes, amen to mentors. <laughs> for me, I have had a mixture of formal and informal mentors. And it, what's been the most helpful is 
picking the right mentor <laughs> because some people are going to help you with project A, while someone else would help you with project B. Being around mentors that are inspiring are brilliant. And some of the things that I've that I have learned the most from mentors is basically not necessarily anything they say to me, but me watching how they do their work, yeah. noticing the things that are not spoken, noticing, like, for example, with writing mentors, noticing how they edit my writing, noticing what types of things they're looking for, and how they're giving me suggestions so then I can take that idea and apply it myself to my own writing or if I'm editing someone else's writing. And humor is always helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Not taking myself so seriously, honoring the process, and probably the best thing I've learned through a system that I'm involved in called Interplay is one of the key tools or ideas in Interplay is incrementality. Break, taking something big and breaking it into small steps. What's yep. the very next step I need to do? And then within that sense of breaking something big to something small, showering it with a sense of affirmation, honoring the things that are going yeah. well with the process. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing all of this. And I'm so, so thankful you took the time to join me on the podcast. I just love the work that you're doing. And thanks for sharing some of your insights and gifts with everybody here. You're welcome, Matt. And really wish you the best with the program you've got going, the IO Idea Podcast. You've got such yeah. a rich set of ideas and plans for building a sense of collaboration and creativity and persistence these are all such important values that we all can grow from well thank you thank you I, I really appreciate it you take care and have a fantastic day all right thank you very much yep